Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm Andy Davis, and as well as being episode 10 of season 5, this is also the last episode of season 5. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with season 6 later in October. But we're rounding this season off with a discussion about a topic that affects every single retailer in the country. What and how do you pay your staff? In particular, we're looking at sales designers. Do you pay low salary and high commission or high salary and low commission? And how do you even work out what that commission is going to be in the first place? Is it based on turnover or profit? And if the whole point is to motivate people to sell, what does that mean for those who simply want to design? We're talking all this through with two friends of the show, consultant Toby Griffin and top retailer Elizabeth Panting-Jones. But first... It may be the end of season five, but we're right bang in the middle of entries for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. As always, it's totally free to enter, and we have categories for kitchen and bathroom designers, retailers, installers, and suppliers. The closing date is November the 17th, and if you want to find out more, you can either go back a couple of episodes of this very podcast, or go to kbbreview.com for such awards. Right, let's talk all about the money now with our two guests. First up, we have consultant Toby Griffin. Hello, Toby. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. And then we have Elizabeth Pantling-Jones, Managing Director of Lima Kitchens in Milton Keynes. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Andy. Hi, Toby. Hi, Liz. Right, let's start with you, Toby. You wrote a piece for the September issue of KBB Review on this very subject. You spoke to many retailers, just like Elizabeth. I suppose one of the initial conclusions is that it's hard to conclude anything in that it's a hugely varied picture right across the industry. Yeah, I think that was one of the the opening points I made in the article, is that we've got a situation where we've got some people who are on full commission, commission only, the vast majority who are on a salary plus commission to a greater or lesser extent, and then some people who are on salary only, no commission at all. And so, like an awful lot of things, particularly in the independent sector, in in our lovely industry, there's a massive variety and all of the companies are making a success of it. So just very, very interesting to see the huge variety and how each company has come to the conclusion that that's what suits them best. Yeah, I mean, we can say with some certainty, can't we, that sales designers and that job title varies almost as much. But I think we I think we all know what we mean by that. So let's stick with it. Uh, sales designers are paid by a mix of salary and commission and the variety comes in the ratio of those two things yes it, it does and uh, i did i did a linkedin poll um um to try and see you know which you know which companies were, were and to what extent people were, were paying those and about half stating that they paid a good salary plus a lower commission then about the remaining third then said that they paid a, a lower salary but a higher commission and then only very few were either doing a salary or, or no commission fully you know fully commissioned so it seems, but particularly, like you said, the sales designer roles, that it's really just a case of to what extent is a greater or lesser salary. But that seemed to be the thing. But there's obviously, there are other roles within the business as well, outside of the sales designers, like, you know, the admin, support, warehouse, that were pretty much exclusively, well, were exclusively salaried. But with the one variable being that quite a lot of companies did pay an annual bonus and how they you know, came to the conclusion of what should be paid. That was a bit of a variable there, but it was much more consistent in the the non-sales designer roles. So, Elizabeth, sales designers there are where the variation seems to be. Talk us through the structure that you have at Lima Kitchens. What works for you? So we try to keep good balance between salary and commission. We've tried varying things in the past, and we found that this get gets the right motivation for our 
our sales team. And by that, I mean enough that they will take the time and work through the design process and project process with them, but not too little that they're not motivated to close that sale and, and kind of move on to the next next project. But you have tried different variations in the past, haven't you? You sort of settled on this after much experimentation. Yeah, absolutely. So our first experience of taking on a salesperson, we did go down the commission only route simply because both myself and Matt had worked under that ourselves previously and being business owners, we're obviously motivated to earn money and make sure it continues. But we found that people were making promises that that they couldn't keep not enough detail and also being able to build up enough of a pipeline and get the the work closed um, and that it took a long time for their their commission to come in and then on the the flip side of that we we thought we'd go for a higher salary so that it was more design-led and more attention to detail would be there but then what we found was that there just wasn't the urgency to get things closed in a kind of timely manner and that just didn't work with our our cash flow and business model that's in a nutshell toby isn't it there are pros and cons for all these variations aren't there high commission drives you know short-term results but could get pretty cutthroat customer service could suffer the high salary low commission leads to that lack of urgency as you say when you were talking to people is how you fix that middle ground is i think the it's issue. the way that your business is structured in terms of processes if when I was sales director of a, of a local business where I am now, where all of our sales designers were commission only. Once they had made the sale, they passed it over to a, a team of very good surveyors. And that was it. They had nothing more to do with anything. They had nothing more to do with ordering customer service or anything like that. So they'd move straight on to the next one. And that worked really well. But it did need that support network behind if you're in a, a business where you don't have that, where the sales designer then goes on to do the ordering, the admin, the customer service, even some of the project management, then if they're heavily motivated on commission, they're obviously becoming less motivated to look after post-sale. So it's a case of, of how your business process is set up and how much the sales designer does post-deposit, really. That seems to be the variable. So what you're really talking about there is customer service, isn't it, as opposed to whether you can sell or whether you can design? Um, well, yes, but it's all the, like I say, it's the admin and the paper. That, that takes up a hell of a lot of time, you know, ordering and, and things like that. And if you've got a choice, you're sitting there as a sales designer and you've already taken a deposit for something and you're already, let's say, going to get paid that, and you've got a choice between spending three hours on admin and customer service or three hours on getting that design right for the customer that's coming in tomorrow, your pay structure is going to motivate you to do the latter, not the former. Um, what ends up happening is that you will do the former, but you'll spend an hour and a half on something that probably should take three hours and you'll spend much more time on the one you know that, that brings you the commission. So that's the thing about any pay structure is you've got to be careful you know, what you wish for. And if you're motivating one behavior, you are also inadvertently demotivating other behaviors. And you've got to have thought about what those other things you aren't motivating um, and what effect that will have. Does this all sound worryingly familiar, Elizabeth? Yeah, definitely. We are one of the companies that has a setup where we hand over to a surveying and ordering team. We undertake quite big projects and a lot of building so there needs to be a lot of attention to detail a lot of cross-referencing 
discussions with structural engineers and so on. So, so you really need to be able to invest that time. And if you if you are motivated by closing more sales, you're just not you're not going to pay attention. We often joke here that that designers often get and it does include myself in it, um, often get carried away with creating the overall vision and tend not to quite have that attention to detail just in the nature of who they are. Part of it for me is that if you have a sort of broad structure in this way where you decide, okay, we're going to do it like that, that also implies that the same thing motivates all people and it just doesn't. Everybody is an individual and different people get motivated by different things. It's almost as if there should be individual structures based on their personality the thing is that according to the theory you you don't get motivated by money because i've studied human resource management at degree level and that was a big thing about what they call motivation and hygiene factors and when they've committed studies on this they've actually found that people like to be paid obviously and they like to be rewarded but it isn't the thing that gets them out of bed in the morning it's the same if you take a football analogy somebody who plays amateur football down the local park will try very very hard to score the goal almost as much as the person who gets paid a quarter of a million pounds a week and it's a demonstration of the fact that actually money and reward has not got as much to do with performance as we think it does and another example of that I've had success over the years by producing league tables amongst my design team sales and design teams and I found that they've been much more interested in being top of that league table or avoiding being bottom than actually how much money they ended up being paid as a result. That was the thing that really, really pushed them. What do you think, Elizabeth? Do different things work differently for different people? It does. And I think that that lends its hand into the role that they play within your business, though. So you would put, you would put people in roles that play to their, their strengths, which is a completely different different topic. But as a small business, you can tend to make those adjustments between your team so that you're getting the best out of everyone and everyone in, enjoys what they're doing. One of the things, in addition to, to mentioned previously, that we do to motivate our sales team is we have a pooled commission. Therefore, you don't find that there are people that kind of fall behind because you also have the reward of closing for everyone else and not being the one that's pulling anyone back or negatively affecting anyone. So I'd say that that's probably something that we've considered as a, as a motivation too. So not not purely the money side of it, but but keeping it as a team. Funny enough, Liz, I I did the same thing with a warehouse team a few years ago now, where I had a a pooled bonus. And what I was doing was saying to them, I want you to work together to to achieve targets. So yeah, I've I've seen that work. Is that what you do now then? You do have a a section of it that is pooled? Yeah, yeah. So all of the commission from the sales team is pooled, and then split out proportionally between the, the designers from there. Um, there are minimum thresholds and targets to reach as well. So obviously more designers, the more we need to, to make sure we're closing um, month on month. And once they get past that, they get commission from their split between them. That is the next part of the, of the equation, isn't it? Because you have the ratio of, of salary to commission, but then it's actually working out what the commission is and again there's that there's probably a huge variation in that as well i'm sure do you base it on turnover do you base it on profit is it margins is it individuals or is it team-based do you pay it monthly quarterly annually again there's lots of pros and cons for all these different decisions aren't there toby yeah the point to what extent the commission you know makes up a total uh part of proportion of the remuneration is, is aspect number one. Second aspect is how is it calculated 
And from what I can see, there seems to be about a 50-50 split amongst retailers, amongst those that, that choose the turnover route, which is the simpler one, and then the gross profit route, which obviously takes a little bit more uh, nuanced. But I can see the gross profit idea, actually, because the problem is when you do it on turnover, and I don't know if Liz, how, how you do that, is that you do need to make sure that they're not, there's not a race to the bottom in terms of giving away margin. So there are a couple of ways of doing it, really. You set a minimum margin required on a particular job or anything that's discounted in the slightest has to get management approval. So, Liz, how, you know, how do you calculate that commission? Is it, is it on gross profit or on turnover? We work on, on turnover. But as, as you say, we have a minimum margin that has to be adhered to. And you need to take into consideration anything that might arise on survey as well. But do you are you getting designers who are constantly just hitting that minimum margin? Because what's then the motivation to go above that? So we have designers that hit our ideal margin repeatedly, but there is a, a little bit of a leeway if something needs closing. And also, if you're taking um, a margin across a job, if you've got a number of appliances where you can't make a high margin on there, that's going to that's going to take the overall total down. So it's kind of a real fine balance that we've had to learn to work with. But also on, on the flip side to that, you don't want them trying to earn more margin on a job and then pricing you out of your local area and away from your competitors, because then you get you get less sales overall. So it's a real fine balance and, and juggling act to, to work out what's best. I always feel these things have to be easily understood you know you have to understand what it is you're going to get at the end of it without it having to go through a kind of carol vorderman style mathematical thing that you, you stand there at the end of the month and draw it all out on a board you know like you're working out the conundrum is there a balance between what's best for the management if you like and what's what's easily understandable for the person who just wants to get their commission so ours is a, a bit more complicated than we we like it. But as I say, we've we've tried other routes in the past and um, we felt that we've left ourselves as a business exposed. So it's something that we discuss on a regular basis. We have a, a spreadsheet where it all goes into that we're open about and all of our margins are accessible to the staff so they can they can easily see and, and calculate what's been allowed for in each sale. And again, once it comes to the completion and survey, they can see clearly what's been made on each sale what do you think toby this is all about motivation isn't it and if it, if it isn't an easily understood structure then that motivation might be eroded somewhat if it all just gets a bit mathsy yeah and also if people feel that they've had something taken from them a member of staff they are furious we'll we'll spend their next period in the company doing their absolute best to uh, to make your life difficult so yeah clarity is absolutely vital on that front and it, like you say the more complicated even though it's probably more suitable the more complicated something is the more there can be a little bit of cynicism as to how things are achieved but I think I think Liz has got the right approach you've got to have it very very visible and at any moment someone can can jump in and see it but another on, on the sort of same topic in terms of visibility there's also the speed with which it's paid as well that's a very interesting one you know is it paid on receipt of the of the deposit is it paid on completion of the job I was talking to uh, Tony Robson from Day True, and he was saying that um, they pay the commission when they get paid the money by the client. It's literally that connect. Whereas most places I've worked, when the order is taken, the commission is paid. Again, Liz, how do you connect the commission payment in terms of timing with the order or the balance, or, or how do you handle that? 
So we pay 50% on deposit. We pay that regardless of target being met to the designer. And then we pay upon completion. That way we can measure costs because of being able to manage that everything has been accounted for. And again, the, the making sure that that job is completed and a profitable job. We do, however, loop back around. So at the end of the year where we may have fallen short, if we've achieved targets and sustained a good margin throughout the overall year, we do kind of give a rebate for anything that may have been missed. Um, so again, if you have one bad month, you could still earn that that kind of commission moving forward as well. So there's always always incentive to keep going and keep trying. Do you find, Elizabeth, as well, that I mean, it's, you know, one of the eternal debates in this industry that's been going on for as long as I've been around it is I'm not a salesman, I'm a designer. Sales is a dirty word a little bit when it comes to people who really value their design skills, which is quite right too. And they don't like the sort of grubby sales money side of things. They just want to get on with being a fabulous designer. Does that make conversations about sales-driven numbers and finances more difficult? It can do. But I think for us here, we're quite a laid-back kind of company and we're very open about everything. And at, at the end of the day, we're all here to make money, to do the best we can and feel pr- proud of the work that we've achieved. And if you lean on people who feel that design is um, more important than anything else, you often find that you get yourself into scenarios where they don't listen to clients. So it's a fine balance between a designer's pride, listening to clients, closing, and then, then being able to get get that commission and as soon as as people start to see a downturn from having too much pride to kind of pull a design back and they start to get hit by it so the the conversation has to be had one way or the the other if it's us bringing it up or if it's them bringing it up yeah what do you think toby does this this, these kind of structures force designers into being salespeople as they need to do to make a living Yes, but also on the flip side, you you've, you have salespeople that are, should be being forced into being good designers. So it isn't like that is exclusively the case. But I've got an interesting little anecdote from a, a long, well, a good time ago where I had a team of three on bathroom sales designers. And one of the three was a relatively new addition. And she was a very good designer, but not a, a naturally talented salesperson, I'd say. But the sales were okay, and eventually she ended up leaving, not under a cloud or anything like that. Um, And when the new person joined, who was selling a lot more, all that we found was that that person's additional sales that they were bringing in were just diluted the other two. So the overall sales of the department hadn't changed. (laughs) That just goes to show you you do need a, a mixture of personalities, and you can have some people who are more design orientated and and if you've got flexibility within your pay structures you could reward those people more who are who are bringing a real sort of quality a real sort of x factor to your your, the image of your business by by doing something great but you've got to be careful that you don't have the scenario where people are spending two hours putting plates and books on worktops and not doing the other things which they should be doing which is ringing customers and you know being more proactive so it is a case of personalities and and balance that's that's key and it's a driving factor behind why we um have gone down the route of it being pulled commission so you don't have that but i spoke to them or again they can work on each other's strengths we have clients here where 
we know that one person's struggling so it's like oh could you keeping it like just listen in and see if you could come in and add anything into the appointment or into the equation or make them feel more at home and relaxed or what whatever it is and, and work together more and then everyone wins from it I've had um I've I've literally had teams where they they're that good and then again when the commissioner's either been low or non-existent or shared where they will say I've got a client and I'm not getting on with them and they will fabricate a situation in which one of the other team picks up the the client and they'll say you'll get on better with them and then they say oh I'm not available next week but my colleague here is available you know would you mind sitting with them and literally passing them across to each other when they know that other people would get on much better and work much, much better with the client. And that, that's when you really know you've got teamwork when they're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And it also helps with um, cover. So many of our us have showrooms that are open um, six, seven days a week. So we're not always here. We're not always available. Knowing that someone's going to willingly help one of your clients when you're not here or on leave, it, it's a great thing. And, and knowing that they'll get the level of care that you would give to them yourself. Again, that's all motivation. Is it? Well, look, I, mean, I guess building the team is part of this next element of it because this huge variation in how different people do it and different structures that they're used to working with, does that affect recruitment? You know, when you're trying to hire a new sales designer in, does it really complicate the negotiations if, if your structure is just wildly different than the one they've come from? I think it can, yes. And we've definitely had people who have been unable to see how it would kind of benefit them. Um, especially with the pooled scenario, there are people out there who who get too concerned that there'll be someone who just kind of gets by on whatever the new person would sell. And I think what we've learned from that is that those people probably aren't the people for our team. Right. Okay. That is a big part of the recruitment process for you, not just for them, is, is seeing what motivates them and what doesn't. What do you think, Toby? Is there any scope at all, do you think, for your continuity across businesses or pay scales or, or whatever it is that evens the understanding across the industry or is it this just inevitable because it's quite a disparate sector? Well, I think you know, the medium to large businesses in the, in the sector have, you know, have a sort of a corporate mentality where they, and an, an obligation to be having transparency across the business in terms of what people are paid. So I think things are, are more uh, there's a more linear, more structured environment. But the, one of the reasons why the independent sector continues to thrive against businesses that have much bigger economies of scale and marketing spends and things like that is its flexibility and its ability to get down to personality, literally have a contract, a deal with individuals within the business. So I think if it did become too structured, then the independent sector would lose that nimbleness, which is what it survives upon. I suppose it's that transfer of understanding, isn't it? You have that conversation with somebody across the table who you want to come to work for you, and you go, well, look, we do it this way, and they go, well, that's just not what I'm used to. I'd rather do it this way. And is there scope for flexibility to the point where you have this completely different structure for person A against person B? And that's definitely something we've done. So with the sales team, but um, definitely within the support team. So being able to tailor things so that it will fit them better um, is something that's definitely been a benefit to us. But Liz, the thing about that is that if, if word, you know, if word gets out, that's the little bit of when I have adjusted too much, I found that people start thinking, oh, what are they getting? And, and they, it is tricky though, isn't it? To, to have too much variety. It's still maintaining the balance, though. So the beauty of recruiting as an independent and being such a small team for us is you can you can interview someone 
for one role, but they have other skills or um, experience that they could bring and fill in elsewhere. And that's something that you can take into account. Um, and a conversation that I had with Toby was about the whole advertising of salaries. And it's like when you've got that that flexibility in your business, when you think someone could come to me with a whole everything that I need here, but a whole package extra, you don't want to rule those people out when you could potentially have that growth a little bit sooner than you were previously pl- planning with one individual. Yeah, because Andy, as, as Liz may not mention it, but she, you're a former recruiter, I believe, Liz, aren't you? I am. So uh, <laughs> did you hear the tone to change? I've, I've outed you. Be proud, Liz. Be proud. I hate recruiting consultants. <laughs> well, no, but it gives you an insight, doesn't it? And there's something you mentioned to me I thought was quite interesting is that there's a bit of stick given to companies who are advertising for roles for not saying what the salary or commission or whatever likely is likely to be. But you made a really good point, which I thought, well, yeah, but candidates often are really coy about what they're looking for as well. So it's, you know, everyone's got to be a bit more transparent, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I interviewed for a project manager um, and I had someone who is an architect come for the role who would be perfect. And it's like, okay, so we also do a lot of building work. Um, I love smashing down walls. If we could have those drawings done in-house, that adds a completely different dynamic to the business. Is that something that we could adjust to? Is it something we could include? It would add value. It would bring in more revenue. We could therefore justify a higher salary. Definitely. And that, that's what I'm saying again. It's about that flexibility. And like you, I've sat there many times thinking, this person isn't exactly what I'm looking for, but I can see what they can do in other elements. How can we adjust a package that... that suits them and suits us and they bring their skills to us and that's again that's how independents survive is by that that free thinking i believe it is funny every now and again when i look at some of the recruitment ads that we have in the magazine and it has like you know on target earnings of a hundred thousand pounds or something can i do think i'm in the wrong sign of this game i really am <laughs> how <laughs> do you meet those targets though? Uh, well i do wonder <laughs> i do wonder you can have an on-target earning of a million pounds, can't you? It just depends what the target is. Absolutely. Yeah, but Andy, I've paid commission-only sales designers £100,000. Every month? <laughs> m- m- many. Well, look, thank you so, so much, both of you. I think we've, we've solved this. We've sorted it out. There's no more of a problem anymore. I find these elements of, of running small business so interesting because they, they are completely different every single time. And when you think of this as an industry, there's so many variations across it and so many different ways of doing the same thing. That It does sound like it's not an industry. It's 6,000 completely different industries all sort of sellotaped together. Thanks so much for your time, and I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. Take care. That was Toby Griffin and Elizabeth Pantling-Jones. And it just shows, doesn't it, what a huge variation in application there is across this sector. I suppose these are all the things that underline the independent part of independent retailer, just as Toby and Elizabeth said. Don't forget that you can enter the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. It's totally free. The closing date is November the 17th. And if you want to find out more, go back to episode eight of this very podcast or go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards. I'll see you in a few weeks for season six.